0: A couple weeks ago, we were at a volleyball breakfast and I asked a question of the girls. There's probably 40 or, I don't know, 45 girls down there that come on Thursday mornings. And I asked them this question, would you rather be rich and lonely or poor and have a lot of friends? And uh, the question split the room. Uh, so we had half of the room, maybe a little less than half, that said, we'd rather be uh, rich and lonely than poor and have a lot of friends. And, and I think everybody in the room probably knew that the, the right answer was to say, I'd rather be poor and have a lot of friends. But there were a few girls that were, were quite honest Who said, no, I'd rather be, be rich and lonely than to have to be poor and, and, not, and, and have a lot of friends. I'm sure if I offered a third alternative, would you rather be rich and have a lot of friends? It would have got a a unanimous vote. God's word never says that money is evil. You're not going to find that in the Bible. It does not say money is evil, but he does say that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. This morning, we're continuing our series through the Gospel of Mark, and we're going to meet someone who loved God, genuinely loved God, but this was a person who also loved money. And when it came right down to it, and he was forced to make a choice, he chose money over God. We're going to be reading in Mark chapter 10, verse 17, if you want to open to that. Mark chapter 10 starting at verse 17, and we're going to pray before we read God's word. Lord, we ask that you would soften our hearts by the truth of your word. Help us hear what you desire to say to each of us. And I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts would be pleasing and acceptable to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to read 10, 17 through 27. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, you shall not defraud, honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me at this the man's face fell he went away sad because he had great wealth jesus looked around and said to his disciples how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of god the disciples were amazed at his words but jesus said again children how hard it is to enter the kingdom of god it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle Than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed, and they said to each other, Who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. So let me begin by asking you a difficult question this morning if uh, I called in sick and Jesus was filling the pulpit this morning. He's doing pulpit supply. And the thrust of the sermon that he delivers is this. Friends, Crossview Church, go, sell everything that you have. Give it to the poor and then come follow me. How would you respond? Could you do it? Could you do it? Could you divest yourself of everything that you have worked so hard, you've worked a lifetime to accumulate your retirement, your savings, the things that you own, your nice home, your nice cars, your nice clothes? Could you do that if that is what he looked you in the eye and said, this is what's required of you Theoretically speaking, I think I could I think I I could do it I could envision myself giving everything away and living a radical life of discipleship a radical life of depending upon Christ and depending on the day sometimes it even sounds appealing like man, it'd be so nice to just not have a house to deal with and these cars to maintain to live this simple life could I do it? Could you do it? We might all say, yeah, yeah, we could do that. But then the, the more difficult question, would you do it? Would you do it? If we take the question out of the theoretical, and it's actually now Jesus looking you in the eye and, in the eye and saying, go do this, and then come follow me, would you do it? That's a whole different question. If Jesus was filling the pulpit and, and you knew in advance that his message that day was going to be go sell everything, give it to the poor, and then come follow me, would you find a reason not to come to church that day? Or if you did, afterwards, imagine going into the gathering place and gra- grabbing a cup of coffee and, and there's Jesus. Would you dare tell him, good sermon, good sermon, Jesus? I'm starting this morning with these questions because I think we all make an assumption that that this really doesn't apply to us literally. There are only a few people who are actually called to be Mother Teresa. God doesn't ask everyone to sell everything and give to the poor, and that is absolutely true, but it's a dangerous assumption for us because we should maybe pause and identify, is there something about this man that reflects something in my own heart? Is there, are there some ways where I'm, I'm like him? It's, it's really silly and it's maybe even sinful to contemplate the questions I've just asked, whether we would give everything to follow Jesus if in fact we're not even giving 10% tithe of what he's asked us to already give. If we're not even doing that to even contemplate would I surrender all is really a a silly thing to to contemplate. But I do think we need to pause because we are immersed in a culture that they, they call a consumer culture. We all live in it, in a consumer culture that is continually telling us that we need more. We always need more. We need bigger. We need better. We need newer. And our identity gets so easily wrapped up in our stuff and in our, in our wealth. Consumption, for many of us, is actually our drug of choice. We use consumption like other people might use a drug. It, it gives us a little fix, helps us feel good for a, a little while. And so we need to pause and consider, what what would you be saying to me, God? Do Do I wrestle with a love of money? One thing you lack, Jesus said. Go, sell everything, give to the poor, and then you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. This was a man who genuinely wanted to follow Jesus his question was not like that of the Pharisees. He's not playing games. He's not there with hostile intent. He's not trying to trap Jesus. This is someone who wants to who who loves God, who wants to follow Jesus. Even with with his money, with his power, with his youth, he might sense that there's something missing in my life, and so he's come to Jesus this day to make sure that he He has the assurance that he's doing everything that he can possibly do. And I think if Jesus were to ask him to do a hundred other things, he would have immediately said yes. If Jesus said, I I want you to go on this mission trip to this other country and it's going to be dangerous, this was a man who probably would have said, I will do it. I'm gone. If Jesus said to him, "I I want you to to teach a class, and this was a man who was afraid to be in front of others. He would have risen up the courage, and he would have taught that class. If Jesus said, I want you to memorize a book of the Bible, he would have memorized the book of the Bible. Witness to your neighbors, he would have gone and witnessed to your neighbors. Volunteer at the homeless shelter, he would have done it. Serve at the food pantry, you bet. But Jesus cut right to the chase by pinpointing the one thing he knew that the man was unwilling to do. Give it all away, and then follow me. This was a man who had kept all the commandments. Since he was a child, he had worked hard. He didn't steal, he didn't covet, he didn't murder, didn't commit adultery, didn't bear false witness. He honored his father and his mother, but it was that first commandment that was the hang-up for him. I am the Lord your God. You shall have no other gods before me. See, there was some things that this man had before God, and Jesus knew what they were. His wealth afforded him several different things. It afforded him security. Maybe you're familiar with it. When you you have money, you feel like I'm safe. If things happen, I I can handle it. If the car breaks down, I can get it fixed. If some unexpected emergency comes in, I have the, the resources to take care of it. That sense of security is nice. Right now, if you are trusting in your 401k, you might be a little anxious these last couple months. His wealth afforded him security. It also afforded him significance. He had social standing. He was respected because of his wealth, probably admired. I imagine he was a benefactor, which means he gave generously which afforded him the reputation, he's a good guy. He's a generous guy. His wealth afforded him some creature comforts and some pleasures. I'm not sure what that looked like in the first century, but I I imagine maybe he had the the Air Jordans of sandals and the Louis Vuitton of a cloak. And maybe he had the thoroughbred of horses and the, the Lamborghini of camels. Maybe he had a home on the Mediterranean and he drank the good wine. So he he had some comfort and pleasure. His wealth also afforded him the the evidence that that God is pleased with me. From a Jewish perspective, wealth was seen as a blessing from God and if somebody was, was wealthy, it meant, well, God is pleased with them. God is blessing them. But what Jesus knew is that this blessing could also be a hindrance. So consider how the whole conversation started. It actually started with a question that was misguided. The questions we ask, uh, if we ask the wrong question, it doesn't matter what the answer is. We're going to get the wrong answer. Here's his question. Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Had the man been present maybe a day earlier when the Pharisees came and challenged him, and when the the disciples said to the parents who were wanting to bless their children, go away, rebuke, rebuke the parents, had this man been present, he might have known the answer to his question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus just said, nobody can enter the kingdom of God unless they become like a little child. What must you do? You must become like a little child. He's asking the wrong question. What must I do to inherit eternal life is the wrong question. There's nothing that you can do to inherit eternal life. That's why you you must receive it. Like a child, like a child who shows up to the, the restaurant, to Fujiyama, not thinking, did I bring my purse Did I bring my checkbook? No, because I'm with mom, I'm with dad, and they've got it covered. That's how we show up, knowing that our our salvation is covered, not because of something I need to do, but because of something that has been done for me. If the man would have really been listening closely, he would have noticed the problem right away. He said to Jesus, Jesus, good teacher, and Jesus stopped him right there. He said, why do you call me good? No one's good. No one's good except God alone. If the man was listening closely, he would have recognized there's a problem with my question. What good thing must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, nobody's good except God alone. Do you see the catch-22? This is our problem. If you believe that there is some good thing that you must do to inherit eternal life, And nobody's good except God alone, then you're in a fix. You can't do what's required for you to do. It's like if you were to give me a a basketball and put me on a a court and say, slam the basketball, go do a slam dunk. It doesn't matter how hard I try, I'm not gonna slam the ball. I've got a, a two inch vertical leap. Now, someone else in the the sanctuary maybe could slam the basketball, but then remember, God doesn't play with 10-foot rims. The rims are as high as the heavens. Like, there is no good thing that you can do to inherit eternal life. You don't have it in you. But the scripture goes a step further. Our problem is not just that we can't do a good thing to inherit eternal life our problem is that we do bad things we 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 sin in romans it says there's nobody righteous not even one for all have fallen short you laugh at my two inch vertical leap you have a two inch vertical leap also maybe a four inch vertical leap we all fall short fall short of the glory of god this is the human dilemma that we are in We're guilty, we're disobedient. If we're gonna be judged based on what we do, what we do merits us condemnation. It merits us judgment. To be sure, we would we would look at this man, I think, if we were to know him, and we'd say, that's a good guy. I mean, that is someone that I would like to have for a friend. Seems like a genuinely good guy. He's done, made a lot of good choices, seems to love the Lord. This is someone that, that we would be drawn to. And Jesus was drawn to him. Jesus looked at him and loved him. Like he sensed that this is someone who really does want to, to love God and follow God. But Jesus also knew that in this, mind, in this man's mind, he's playing the game of I've got to earn it. And if you're going to play that game, you've got to earn your way, then you know what? You've got to be flawless. Flawless you got to do it perfectly. God doesn't grade on a curve. You don't get to heaven because you're better than the person sitting next to you or you're better than 80% of the other people in your community. You don't even get to heaven by being a good person. The only people in heaven are people who are spotless, righteous, holy, So Jesus immediately puts his finger on on the one area in this man's life that he knew he wasn't willing to give up. And the man lowered his head and went away sad. Perhaps for the first time he came face to face with the fact that he was a sinner and he didn't love and trust God completely. The basket was higher than he could jump. And so now Jesus reflects with his disciples how hard it is. How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples are amazed. But notice what Jesus says next time. He doesn't even qualify it for the rich. This is for everybody. How hard it is to enter the kingdom of God, period. How hard it is for anyone to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples are even more amazed. It's not just hard for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. It's hard for anyone to enter the kingdom of God, based on their own good works. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for for a rich person or someone else depending on their own good works to enter the kingdom of God. And so the disciples ask the obvious question, who then can be saved? Is heaven going to be empty? Is it going to just be God and the angels if the only people in heaven are those who are spotless? and righteous, and altogether holy, who's going to be there? Who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and confirmed, yes, with man, it's impossible. Nobody's going to be there based on their own good works. With man, it's on, it's impossible. Nobody. Remember last week, I I joked at the end of the sermon about Judgment Day and meeting St. Peter and saying, I don't believe that that's going to happen, but if it does happen and Peter asks you, why should I allow you into heaven? I, I told you, don't say anything. <laughs> like you got no answer to that question. Just tell him to go talk to, to Jesus because Jesus has you, you covered. But seriously, when we think about that question, there are so many people who are planning that, that my answer to get into heaven is because I'm a good person. I hear it more than anything else. And on the face of it, it's, it's admirable. The people who are trying to do things right, trying to live a, a good, genuine life, being good to their neighbor, it's admirable on the face. I, I try to keep the commands. I, I go to church as much as I can. I'm, I'm nice to my neighbors. I even turn the cheek when someone confronts me and, and maybe hits me. I, I give my tithe faithfully every week All of these things are are admirable. We should strive to be obedient, to keep God's commands, but the reason we do is not so that we can become a child of God. We do those things because we are children of God. The question the man should have asked Jesus was not, what must I do to inherit eternal life? The question he should have asked is, What have you done so that I might inherit eternal life? Had he asked that question, he might have heard something like this. uh, I came to seek and save the lost. My mission is not to condemn the world, but to save the world. Anyone who receives me becomes a child of God. Jesus would have said, whoever has me has life. If you don't have me, you don't have life. The only people in heaven, the only people in the kingdom of God are spotless, righteous, and holy. And this spotlessness, this righteousness, this holiness is not something we achieve. It's not something we earn. It's not something we accomplish. It's something we receive. Like the child at the restaurant. We just receive it. Something that we're given. That's what we call grace. We did nothing to earn it. It's all based on what God has done for us. He's paid the bill in full. This morning I was thinking about this sermon, thinking about the children's sermon, thinking like, how am I going to communicate this to the kids? And I was thinking about a a song that that was back in the day in the 80s, and and it I'm not going to sing it, but it it goes like this. He paid a debt he didn't owe. I owed a debt. I couldn't pay. I needed somebody to wash my sins away. And now I sing a brand new song, Amazing Grace. Christ Jesus paid a debt that I could never pay. It's the spotlessness of Christ given to us, the righteousness of Christ given to us, the holiness of Christ given to us. That's our assurance. And it's all a free gift that we receive by faith. This morning, we have the privilege of coming before a table. And when we come to the table this morning, it's important that we ask the right question or that we understand the question that's being asked of us. When we come to the table, the first thing we hear from God is not, you must do this. When we come to the table, what we hear from God is is what he's already done for us. This is something that you must receive. Christ's body broken for you. Take and eat. Free to you. He died so that it could be free to you. Christ's blood shed for you. Take and drink. And then we always say at the end, right before you come forward. These are the gifts of God for the people of God. Come, all things are now ready. These are gifts. You can't pay for them. You can't earn them. You can only receive them. Praise God. Then we leave the table. We leave recognizing that we are children of God. And we, lead to, we leave the table to lead lives of obedience we lead to leave to, to be on mission, spreading God's love to the world. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks and praise. Join me as we pray. Father God, it is holy and right for us to give you all praise, glory and honor. Lord, we come to the table acknowledging our sinfulness. We have failed to do all that you've called us to do, and we've done the things that you've commanded us not to do. We come humbly, professing once again that we are sinners in need of a Savior. And yet we come. We come as children, confident in your love, in your grace, and in your mercy. We come boldly, trusting that you have paid the fullness of our debt upon the cross, as you bled and died in our place. The punishment that has brought us peace is upon your shoulders. Lord, we thank you for taking our sin red as scarlet upon yourself and giving the gift of your righteousness that is white as snow. Lord, we come to receive like a child. Feed us. Nourish us. Transform us as we partake of these elements. We ask that you would bind us together as the community of the forgiven, the community of the redeemed. Send us to a world that so desperately needs to know what has been done for them, that they are loved by you, and what's been accomplished on the cross and the resurrection. Come, Lord Jesus.